everyone. Um, welcome at the German Historical Institute. Um, I'm the director of the Institute, Christina von Hodenberg, and um, uh, very pleased to welcome today uh, Professor Nathan Abrams from uh, University of Bangor in Wales. Now, this lecture series, as many of you will know, um, is hosted uh, by the German Historical Institute um, in cooperation with the Leo Beck Institute. Uh, London, and we have a long-standing partnership with the Leo Beck Institute, um, and uh, what the Leo Beck Institute specializes in, the, institute, uh, the history of European and German Jewry, is certainly also one of the special fields of interest at the German Historical Institute. Um, Professor Daniel Wildmann, who is um, the director of the Leo Beck Institute, will introduce the speaker to you and will also moderate the discussion. Um, so thank you again for uh, coming here, and I'll hand over to Daniel Wildmann now. Thank you very much, Christina. I'm also very happy, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome you tonight to the closing lecture of this season's um, Leo Beck Institute series. The series is organized, as Christina has pointed out, jointly between us, the Leobeck Institute, and the German Historical Institute. My name is Daniel Wildmann. I'm the director of the Leobeck Institute, and I'm really very happy that you can convene here in this extremely beautiful venue. So my thanks go out, as always, to Christina and her staff for hosting our lecture series. This year's topic is, as you probably know, seeing Jews in art, networks, fantasies, and dreams. And as you surely agree, and your presence here proves the point, is that you can't really have a lecture series without at least one lecture about film. As we are in the UK, and as far as I'm informed, still in the EU, we wanted to have a lecture about the BBC, about BBC films dealing with Jews. Now, given the current political climate here in the UK, to give a lecture about Jews, foreigners and mafiosis, or let's say gangster, is quite an undertaking. But I think the perfect scholar for doing this is precisely um, my dear colleague, Professor Nathan Abrams. And I'm very happy to introduce Nathan to you. He is a professor, a professor in film at Bangor University, which is in Wales. And his key research areas are Jews, Jewishness and Judaism and popular culture. A second one is public intellectuals and American culture. And finally, European Jewish um, diaspora with the special interest on Scotland and Wales. Nathan has published widely in all these fields, and I would like to mention some of his books, only some of his books. Let me start with an earlier one. Caledonian Jews, a study of seven small communities, not in Wales, but in Scotland, published in 2009. Another one, The New Jew in Film, Exploring Jewishness and Judaism in Contemporary Cinema, published in 2012. Or 
hidden in plain sight, Jews and Jewishness in British film, television, and popular culture. Uh, that's a book Nathan edited in 2016. And a recent example, Stanley Kubrick, New York Jewish intellectual. That's a monograph which has been published in 2018. Nathan, Nathan is also the editor, the co-founding editor, actually, of Jewish Film and New Media, an international journal, a very interesting journal, actually. Tonight, Nathan Abrams is going to speak about Trave Jews, question mark. Jewish gangsters in Mac Mafia and Peaky Blinders. Nathan, over to you. Thank you very much for having me back. It's uh, great to be back uh, speaking for this series and in this beautiful building and to be in London. I'm a native, um, although I'm myself one of those diasporic Jews, doubly exiled, you know, once from the homeland, twice from London. Um, thank you for the long introduction. As I was looking through your previous series, I was thinking I really must uh, provide more of a bio to rival. Um, so next, I always think it's uh, next time I will just uh, send you a, a Megillah. Um, anyway, um, so what I thought I would do is a little visual overview of some of the representations of Jewish gangsters on British, well, film and TV. Um, but as the media are so mixed up these days, um, so we're having an interesting discussion, so apologies for coming down late. That was partially my fault for we're engrossed in a discussion about television. Um, but, it, but it's interesting. Um, I was talking to a colleague about, um, this is just a thought off the cuff, actually, about television studies. And... Um, colleague said, well, students, there's no point having a course in tele television studies. Students don't recognize it as television studies. They just, it's, they're watching something, whether it's on Netflix or HBO or in the cinema, and they might be watching it on the phone, they might be watching it on the TV, they might be watching it on a computer, they might be watching it in the cinema, but this, there's a blurring of boundaries between these media now, and only people who come from the past, is his argument, categorize or segregate into TV and film, um, whereas students don't make those distinctions. So I'll throw that out there as a justification for some of the clips I'm going to show when you say, ah, but they're not TV, okay, is that the modern student sees no such distinction. Um, now, just to give some context, um, I haven't prepared a pretty PowerPoint, unfortunately. Um, look at the ceiling if you want something pretty. Uh, not at me. <laughs> um, what I'm interested in is, is, just to give a bit of context where I, where I come from, is I started off looking at the United States, um, and um, it's probably much easier to explore film and TV in the United States from a Jewish perspective, because there's just so much more of it. And, um, you know, we, we've had various films about gangsters in the U.S., um, such as Bugsy, Lansky, Casino, Goodfellas, or, or latterly the TV show Boardwalk Empire. So, you know, this isn't a new um, development, isn't a new genre. Um, we, I, I suspect we know much more about um, what they call the kosher nostra in the United States, you know, those Jewish Americans allied with um, the American mafiosi than we do about any kind of British uh, um, 
criminal activity. There's probably several reasons for that. Um, and the main one, I would argue, is, um, and I always think we need to put it in this context, um, and, and yes, I will indulge in national stereotypes a little bit here, is I think American Jews are much more prone to shouting uh, 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 about themselves or, or, um, and much more confident than, say, British Jews have historically have been. Um, I think that's changed and changed and changing, despite what current politics and media might tell you. But, you know, in the United States, they've been exploring Jewish gangsters for far longer, such as Tough Jews, Rich Cohen's book, and, um, and to, to very little, um, you know, uh, criticism. No, no one sort of looks at this and thinks, well, we shouldn't be doing it. Um, whereas in Britain... We're still sort of very much coming out of these decades of keep your head down, you know, an, a, a, a Jew at home uh, and an Englishman. Uh, I use the term Englishman advisedly as a, as a person. I've lived in Wales long enough to naturalise. Whether they'll let me is another matter. Um, but, you know, an, an Englishman and outside and a Jew at home. And, and I think for that reason, we've been slow to kind of embrace the study of British film and television and slow to kind of shout about um, our... Our, our achievements in, and representations in this, but very quick to criticise when we don't like something. You know, when it slightly smacks of a tiny bit of anti-Semitism, we're extremely quick to point that out, but very slow, I think, to, 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 to laud our achievements. So in that context, one of the ways that I look at film and TV is changing representations. I mean, I'm a historian by training, so there's a sort of slightly historical sociological bent to what I do, which is to look at changing representations and to think about why they might have changed and how they might have changed, and then how we can reflect back on that to consider contemporary society. Okay? So when we look at these clips, we might think, well, have they changed? Um, and uh, if so, how? Um, one thing I don't really look at, which is interesting for the perspective of ma Mafia, is the Israeli context or, or, or the rest of um, continental Europe. Um, but that would be something interesting to throw into the mix. I think it's a future date, is to a sort of comparative US, European, Israeli um, sort of gangsters um, and think of it from that perspective. Right, so let's, let's go through a little sort of historical um, overview, um, if I can find the... Um, first one. Um, as I said, in the United States, um, the main representations have been, um, you, know, you know, the gangsters associated with, um, you know, what, what I call the kosher nostril murdering associated with the mafiosa and mafiosi and the um, American casinos. Um, so, but if we turn to a British yeah. context, um, this is one of the earliest. I'm not going to say this isn't a comprehensive, definitive list. It's just a few suggestive, hopefully provocative um, um, gangsters. And there's probably more. Now, just to give you a bit of context, um, when one looks, this is, an, this is a kind of underexplored aspect of British Jewish film history and is the early decades of the 20th century. So for the first two decades of the 20th century, um, when we have... Um, um, in fact, that occurs to me. I know another gangster I could show you. Um, well, I'll start at the beginning. As soon as film appears, Jews start to appear on film. Okay, and one of the earliest examples I have in British film is a French film about the trial of Dreyfus from 1895. 
And so I suppose, from someone's perspective, I'm not saying mine, Dreyfus could be a gangster um, appearing on British film. Um, what we see in the first two decades of the 20th century is translations of British, uh, of British literature, of English literature, uh, into, into films. And um, this is quite popular in the United States and across Europe. So the version we're going to watch is British by um, source material, um, albeit um, Italian by production. Okay? Um, but if any of you know how the British film industry rules work, we can claim this. Okay, Merchant Ivory, not, in, not British at all. Source text, British, therefore we claim it. Okay, a bit like when you select football players for a small country. Um, I won't go there. Um, so anyway, so one of the first examples that sets this up, and there's probably many more from these first two decades, we get these overly racialized representations of Jews, okay, produced by non-Jews. So of course, these overly racialized representations emphasize the negative aspects of Jewishness, which tend to associate with money, money lending, and, and, and uh, criminal behavior. And so um, obviously, the Merchant of Venice being one of the classic examples of this. So I'll just fast forward to the bit with... Uh, carry on now. I know you're engrossed. Um, I find these fascinating. I think this would make an excellent research project for someone to go through all the silent um, movies that feature, you know, you have Daniel Deronda and Oliver Twist. We'll look at Oliver Twist soon. And these, these were very popular and often made multiple times. Um, Trilby made multiple times in different countries um, across the early decades. Um, so there's at least... Um, I'd say about two, three dozen of these movies and make a really interesting study. But as you can see here, it's befitting the silent medium. Um, everything is overly exaggerated. Um, so it just instantly looks anti-Semitic because in the silent me medium, um, because you can't rely on um, narrative or exposition, everything's over-gesticulated. And if you notice all the hand movements of Shylock uh, as he comes out, and, and, and his fingers, and, and note his sort of orientalized, um, let's see, we'll just, uh, his orientalized uh, dress. Oh, that's a little bit earlier. Well, you know, if you notice the turban, he's clearly othered here in this context um, in the turban. And what I like, if you look around um, the room, the kind of signifiers of not only what's going to happen in the plot, but there's probably implicit, you know, here with the um, axe isn't the term I know, but I'm not an uh, early modernist, so I can't think of what the exact term is. Um, but, you know, also implicitly imp sort of uh, suggests circumcision as well. Um, anyway, this orientalization, and, and look at the lovely hand tinting as well. 
Um, early films, um, well, early film wasn't always in black and white. Um, often there was hand tinting, um, but it's expensive and time-consuming. So here's an early representation of what we might call a kind of criminal or gangster type in, in British um, film, and that, that dates back to 1910, 1911. Now, if we're to fast-forward, um, the next example exploiting... I'm not saying it's the only one. Um, the, the traditions of English literature um, would be um, Fagin uh, from Oliver Twist. No, oh, wrong one. Sorry. Where is it? Where is it? Where? Uh, there we go. Sorry. So this is the 19... at that, I mean, this is a very infamous 1948 representation, despite the, the, the almost, um, you know, the, more than three decades and World War II and the Holocaust um, between the first representation and the second representation, there's not a whole lot of difference other than this one talks. But I want you to pay attention to that. Um, what we have here is this kind of overly coded uh, Fagan, note the accent, and I suppose everyone, you know, think about that prosthetic nose that was... Um, actually crafted by someone who, who was part Jewish, Truett Freeborn, who went on to later work on um, um, 2001 with Stanley Kubrick. Um, and he said he regretted doing that and advised against it, but they kept that nose in. I mean, it was really quite horrific. And you have to wonder what's going on in post-war Britain in '48 that they thought this was okay to uh, um, represent a Jewish character in such a way. Um, and as a, you know, again, I'd say this is a representation from the outside, you know, non-Jews representing Jews, and hence the sort of overly crude um, portrayal. Now, there's a... now, moving on to 1968. Oh, wrong one. All right, that works. It gets better. Feel free to sing along if... Uh... 
Tempted to play the whole thing. Uh, join in if you want to. Um, as we see, 1968. Um, this was the best picture of 1968 in a film in a year that Planet of the Apes and 2001 were also released. Just goes to show that there's absolutely no point following the Oscars um, for a quality picture. Um, not to say it's bad, but you know, there's no competition really. But as we can see here, um, we've moved from a kind of outside portrayal to an inside portrayal. This is portrayed by Ron Moody, so who is Jewish. Um, it becomes slightly more flattering, but given it's Fagan anyway, how much more flattering can you make it? Um, although what, what actors have done with Shylock over the years is interesting, um, and I think quite a bit's been written. And I understand Tracy M. Oberman is now going to be playing Shylock, so that'd be even more interesting to see what that representation is. But as you can see, Certain things stay the same. The nose is slightly smaller, but the, the overly coded um, accent. And, and that, that's the context I want to think about these more recent, um, these more recent portrayals. So moving um, onwards, I believe you actually... Um, did you have Snatch as part of your... Um, I think you did Snatch as part of your series, didn't you, Daniel? Yeah. Um, Right, um, just to warn you, there is some X-rated language here, okay? So, uh, um, you listen at your own risk. Who's <laughs> the man to speak to? Pretends he's Jewish. Wishes he was Jewish. He tells his family they're Jewish. That's Doug the Head. Everybody knows Doug the Head. It's stones and it's stolen. Doug's the man to speak to. Pretends he's Jewish. Wishes he was Jewish. He tells his family they're Jewish. He's about as Jewish as he is a fucking monkey. He thinks it's good for business. In the Dharma business, yeah. it is good for business. Abby, you'll be there today. Take care of him, will you? Abby, you know I want to buy Strums. He isn't selling Strums. What are you take me for? This is England. We play on rules. Listen to me. If the Strums are kosher, they're all born by the way. If anybody sees me, it's my lunchtime. Is there any? 
country, innit? Well, I'm a free shot, is it? So fuck off. So that's Guy Ritchie's Snatch from 2002. Um, again, sort of despite his flirtation with Kabbalah, as opposed to Kabbalah, um, uh, this is an outside representation. You have Mike Reed playing um, um, the Doug here, um, although the, the other character, Cousin, Cousin Avi, um, is meant to be Jewish in this, although American. Um, here we, here we um, I think it's in, moving into more interesting representation territories. I mean, the language, I think, is a key point in all of this. Um, and the type of language that's used um, now. This this non this this non-Jewish sort of slightly dodgy uh, 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 diamond dealer is pretending to be Jewish, um, but sounds much more London, much more like he should. Um, one of the things to keep in mind is one thing that's long blighted um, British Jewish film and television because of the smallness of the population. I mean, to give some context. Um, when you're talking a population of 250 to 300,000 Jews in Britain, most of whom are concentrated in London, Manchester, uh, and, and a few other places, um, most people in Britain, um, their experience of meeting a Jewish person is very limited. So where I live, in North Wales, in Bangor, I might be the first Jewish person they've met. Um, and often when I give a talk, I'll say, have you met anyone Jewish before? A hand will go up and they'll go, yeah, you. And they mean literally just now. But I'm, I'm, this anecdote tells us something. When you've only got a tiny audience of 250 to 300,000, um, you can't um, aim products at them. Like in the United States, with approximately 6 million Jews, you can aim products at that market because you might be able to get a return on it. And also, Jewishness has become so subsumed into the wider culture um, that, that other people will, will get some of the jokes anyway. But I don't think that's the case in Britain. Um, a lot of people don't understand Jewishness, might not have any experience of it, can't understand why, if you're Jewish, um, you, you might not, you know, you might eat pork. There's no, no concept that it's not just a faith or not eat a faith, that, that, it, um, that, it, that, you know, the culture and ethnicity of it. So therefore, when Jews are put on uh, film and TV, they're overly coded, typically, and not because the people doing it are anti-Semitic, because I think they're afraid. We have to overly code Jewishness because our audience won't recognise it. So everyone here is a chassid, right? You notice all the boys um, uh, are dressed like chassidim. Um, because how else do you get people to recognise a Jew? If you stick me on there, well, you might not get it, right? Even if you put them in a synagogue, you might not get it. Um, the other thing is, is the interesting thing about the dynamics of Jewish film and TV is, is, is lots of Jews work in it. So some of these decisions are made by those Jewish creative personnel for what, one reason or another. Um, and I could do a whole other talk on many examples where I think of gross caricatures of Jewishness that Jews have produced um, for, what, for, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, this gets more interesting because suddenly, um, although they're overly coded in dress terms, they, they sound normal. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quote that, that for me, sums this up. Um, there was a review of Pi, Aronofsky's, Aronofsky's first film in 1998. I don't know how many of you have seen that. It's well worth seeing. Um, and um, it's, it, one of the plot lines features a group of um, Haredim. And uh, in the review, it said, at last, I'm paraphrasing the review here, at last, some Jews that sound like they were educated in a crappy Brooklyn yeshiva. All right? They sounded like they were where they were from. 
The problem with British Jews on TV and film and TV is no matter whether they're 10 or 110, whether they got off the boat in 1910 or 2010, they all talk like that. They all talk like Ron Moody. Or, 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 or I mean, it's a huge generalisation, I know, but by and large, they all have this very overly coded accent to go along with the dress. And the other thing that really annoys me that they do, did anyone notice the other thing that overly codes Jewishness? It's so lazy. Anyone notice there? This is great for the podcast. You're going to have to cut this... The, 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 <laughs> yeah. Go on, you had your hand up. Use of, hands. use of hands? No, something else. It's probably so, like, like a fish in the water, you don't notice the water, right? Go on. Association with wealth. Well, no good. I like this. I'm crowdsourcing my paper here. Uh, association with wealth. Something else, something else. We always tend to ignore this. What's the other way you code Jewishness? They did it in that clip. Shrugging shoulders. Shrugging shoulders. You're thinking of gesticulation. Skull cap, shall I play it again? <laughs> they were like, no, I've come to hear you, not to do the work. Um, let's play it again. Be there today, take care. Be there. It's a great country, isn't it? I'm afraid of shock, is it? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. Just shut your eyes. The klezmer music. Exactly, the klezmer music. Yeah, it's another lazy cliche um, that blights British uh, film and TV, um, as if we all sit around listening to klezmer at home all the time. Right? It's funny. I did an exhibition um, launch, and in Bangor, and they said, "I'm guilty of this." They said, "Bring some music." I was like, well, I didn't have... Can I bring Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, The Clash? Will anyone recognise that? Even The Who, flirtation with, flirtation with Israel years? No, I brought Klezmer. <laughs> because it's part of the way of, like... Well, most people won't recognise this as not being Jewish. So um, there was a great documentary on Leeds Jewry um, a few weeks ago on BBC, blighted by Klezmer. But otherwise, the documentary footage was fantastic. So here we get a kind of interesting picture of the representation of Jewishness that has moved on. Mike Reed sounds like he's from London. Um, he's swearing. I think the vulgarity is important. It's moving away from trying to create these images of Jews that make us look like we're great British citizens. That You're not going to make Fagan look like a great British citizen. Uh, although stick him in a musical, he might be a bit more... Uh, um, the edges might be a bit more um, um, sanded down. Um, but stick them all in Hasidic garb. Have them all and, and have them have the klezmer if you're doing something a bit too um, dodgy that you think people won't recognise it. Um, I do like... Where's the other one? Oh, I haven't got it on here. Um, I do like the opening to that movie. If, how many, if, you have, if you've seen Snatch, there's a group of um, diamond raiders all dressed as Hasidim. Um, and then... Uh, um, turns out none of them are Jewish. It just reminds me of a story I heard about David Bowie in New York. Um, David Bowie managed to hide himself in New York. How? By carrying around a Greek newspaper. Um, so I think there's that element of let's all just um, disguise ourselves as Hasidism. But I think you're right in the comments you've made. It does cement associations of Jews, money, wealth, double-dealing, diamonds, uh, and whatnot. So that's the context leading up to more recent um, um, representations um, McMafia 
and Peaky Blinders. Now, I was intrigued when Daniel asked me to do this. I'm a bit nervous in case Misha Glennie is down on the guest list. Is he here? Okay. Because so I'm going to ask him what he thinks. So, McMafia is really interesting. I don't know how many of you saw So, this came out in 2018 on BBC. Um, and it was co-produced by the BBC, AMC, and Cuba Pictures. It was first broadcast from January 2018 um, in the UK and then in February in the United States. And um, um, it was based on a book by Misha Glennie, a non-fiction book, entitled McMafia, Seriously Organized Crime, which describes itself as a journey through the new world of international organized crime from gun runners in Ukraine to money launderers in Dubai by way of drug syndicates in Canada and cyber criminals in, in Brazil. Um, significantly nowhere does that precy mention either Israel or Jews, although at least one chapter in the book labeled Alia does focus on them. And... Um, Glennie, in his book, does contextualize um, um, Jewish gangsters. Um, he notes how the Jews of Edessa and its sister port Thessaloniki in northern Greece, quote here, did not conform to the stereotype of Eastern European Jews as poor rural dwellers or prosperous businessmen. Instead, they comprised much of Edessa's tough working class from whom the city's legendary criminal community emerged, as chronicled during the early 20th century in the stories of the great Isaac Babel in his tales of Odessa, uh, and already mentioned um, the American counterpart. So there is history for this. Um, and his book focuses, uh, the chapter in his book, primarily on Israel and primarily on the kind of new Russian aliyah to Israel and those gangs. Now what's interesting um, in the translation of this book to TV series is the those who adapted it um, decided to almost just focus on that one chapter, which in itself is a really interesting decision. I haven't got any answers for this one. I'm just going to have to throw out a load of questions at you. Um, I couldn't find any quick answers on this. I read all the interviews that they put on the BBC and other places about the creative process, and almost none of the interviews mentioned Jewishness, but the BBC series McMafia focuses on this one Russian-Jewish um, or sort of Russian Jewish British family now exiled to the UK and its criminal connections. And I found this very interesting. It's like, why have they taken this entire book with that precy and reduced it to one Jewish family? And as far as I can tell, this wasn't a Jewish decision um, to do so. Now, um, there's a couple of clips I want to play you. Um, So here's our main character. Played by a non-Jewish actor. Look at him for a bit. Sugar. Ah, but then you're so impressive. 
такая плохая штука. Okay. It's mainly him I want you to get a look at here. Um, what we have here is um, James Norton, who's not Jewish, um, playing a um, Alex Goodman, uh, Alex Godman, um, the son of this kind of Russian Jewish crime family that's now exiled to the UK, and um, he he's a banker, so obviously it cements those connections with uh, Jews, wealth and money. But what I find interestingly is, is about this is the kind of physiological shift. If you think about these earlier representations of, of, of Fagin and Shylock, and um, now when we hear him speak, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll play him here so you can see a bit more. Um, it doesn't suffer from the blight of those things that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, I think what's Did you come to see? Now, if we look at that, right, if I hadn't told you that this character was just... How many of you have seen McMafia? Yeah. I mean, with the title McMafia, you're going to think it's Trafe, right? McDonald's. Yeah. And if I just showed you that, and the way he speaks, the way he's dressed, I think there's not really any way of knowing he's Jewish. All right, you stick a kippah in his head, he could be Mike Reed. Um, this, I think, is an interesting development. I'll quote you David Aronovich here, writing in the Jewish Chronicle. The Godman family, transitioning from Russian mobsters to London financiers, are supposedly Jewish. Though heaven knows how you would tell. The paterfamilias seems more Glaswegian than Odessian. The kids are pure Bedells, in truth ample forth, and they wish each other a long life when making toasts. Next, they'll be lighting their Passover dreidels. I think it's quite funny. <laughs> That's, you can laugh. That's David Aronovich. It's a wait for laughter to drive the, dry, the, die down, it says in the notes. Um, but, you know, you get his point. David Badil was on Twitter at the time, if anyone remembers, complaining about how a non-Jew was playing a Jewish character, um, which I thought was an interesting complaint. He, he, he said he suddenly woke to this. Um, so, you know, it's interesting... Um, I mean, I'm going to throw a question out there. I think this is a sign of maturity, personally, that we've moved on, that we don't need Jews playing Jews and we don't need to overly code Jews, that actually they can just look like everybody else. We don't need to stick them in a kippah uh, and Haredi garb and play klezmer in the background f uh, for us to get that they're Jewish. That's on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, critics like Aronovich and Bedil complained about this. But on the third hand, it does make me wonder why the BBC decided to commission a series... 
um, based on a book of which only one chapter out of a considerable book is based on a Jewish family. And I have yet to find an answer for that. And I think the, oh, well, the BBC is uh, uh, anti-Semitic standard response when we don't like what they have to say about Israel isn't, 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 um, isn't a, a satisfactory one here. So I can't give you an answer, but it's something to think about. Maybe we could discuss um, later on. Now, again, just to... I'll play you this clip. Um, if I can get it to... Um, if the computer works. Um, so this is... Um, might have to sing uh, in its place. I'm reviewing. You don't want to hear me sing, really. Although I live in Wales. <laughs> there you go. More stereotypes. Okay, don't know what's going on there. Um, I'll try apologies for this. Try... Um, oh, it's frozen. Okay, so um, what I was going to play you was a clip from the UK Friends of Israel, um, which include... This is when it really got my attention. I'd seen the article about from the UK Lawyers for Israel group, sorry, complaining about the show, and I thought, now I have to watch it. Okay, if they hate it, I'm going to like it. Because, um, you know, these are the more public relations-minded elements of our community that, that will shout at anything that, that doesn't show us in the most glorious of halo light, even in the post-Bernie uh, uh, um, Madoff context, as if we're going to brush that under the carpet. Well, that happened over there. We're not like that here. Um, and I really wouldn't mind playing you that clip, but that's frozen. Let's see if we can get it. Um, sorry, apologies for this. Let's see if we can get this up on here. I like it because of the also... Not cooperating with me. Jewish Star Wars. Jewish Star Wars is Jewish. That's another talk. Han Solo. Harrison Ford. Who's Jewish, right? And it's all based on um, kind of, well, not all based on, but Jewish. Yeah, think of Yoda as well. Yodea. Just filling in the, can I? Um, and it's uh, Frank Oz. And he's a Yiddish old man. He's got Yiddish in the. Uh, uh, <laughs> what does that make all right I don't know why um, okay I'd, I'd, apologies for this so what the clip was going to show was just going to have some um, you know when they do that um, type to speech reading out the, the complaints um, and showing you some images and one of the images is a funeral and that's probably one of the few times you can tell this family's Jewish because um, Alex is wearing a kippah and they're going through some of the traditional Jewish rituals but it's very interesting that that, that Although this is the, probably the most parav, you know, uh, um, how would we translate that? The kind of most um, uh, parav, <laughs> I'm going to stick with that, Jewish family, um, they've still kept the Jewishness in. You know, I'm not, I'm, not 100%, I'm not 100% sure why or convinced as to why they've done it, not least because it's only a small segment. But I think what they were really complaining about was this Russian-Israeli politician, Semyon Kleinman. And this um, politician, Semyon Kleinman, played by the non-Jewish David um, Strathern, um, if that's how you say his name. I've never said it out loud before. Strathern? Yeah. Apologies for... Apologies, David. Um, 
he um, he's he's this sort of uh, um, shyster politician and um, engaged in trafficking of um, um, young girls and young women across the uh, Egyptian border into Israel. So it, it, it does tie this Russian Jewish Israeli into um, some of the most gratuitous slurs about uh, uh, Jewish criminality, their associations with prostitution, with um, corrupting uh, uh, young non-Jewish women. And I think he was the one that, that they were really complaining about when the UK lawyers for Israel group, and quite a bit of the series is set in Israel as, as Alex travels between Israel um, and the UK and Russia and some other places. Um, and, and again, it's another interesting choice to have done that, to focus on just this one tiny little element um, of, the, of, the, of the book. Now, this leads me then to, um, as I've, I'll have to use YouTube here, apologies for this. This then leads me to the second series of, um, of I mean, well, just to go back to Semyon Kleiman, um, as I said, I went through all these interviews and uh, there's, there's almost nothing in there referring to the Jewishness that they've decided, obviously decided to emphasise, um, which is interesting. I think it's the BBC playing safe on their website, but at the same time not playing it safe in the series. Um, but when David um, was interviewed, he, he said, um, tell us about your role. He's a complicated fellow. He's a Russian-born Jewish-Israeli politician but also a major player in the criminal network that Mafia is exposing. He's a financier who is a very adept at moving money around and keeping himself out of the limelight, enough to be a member of the Labour Party and the Israeli government. Um, and it goes on like that. Now, that's the only mention of the, of the J word in all these interviews. Um, so, something to think about there. Now, to move on to my final example... Um, which is probably my favourite example of the whole lot, is Alfie Solomons, who is based on um, a real-life... Uh, um, this is Peaky Blinders, the series um, that's set between the wars about this uh, Birmingham gang. Um, it's all based on... inspired by historical reality. And this key character, Alfie Solomons, crops up um, in the show. He's played by Tom Hardy... And um, he's actually um, a historical character. So Peaky Blinders aired in 2013. It's now up to its fifth series when that shows uh, on the BBC and on Netflix. Um, and Alfie Solomon and his group um, called the Bessarabian Tigers controlled the Whitechapel area of London's East End just before the First World War. Um, note the change in name. He's, he's uh, Solomon in reality and Solomon's in the show. Together with his brother Harry... Aided by an Italian gang, gang um, they controlled North London and terrorised racecourses around the country. Um, so what they were doing was providing protection for Jewish bookmakers at the track uh, and at the same time robbing <laughs> those Jewish bookmakers um, of, of, their, of their savings. And um, so this is based on reality, uh, uh, on historical reality, as is the um, premise of the show. And um, Stephen Knight, um, who uh, said he saw his role as holding hands with history rather than slavishly adhering to events. Um, one of the things I was sort of interested to discover is one of the areas they operated in was in Camden Town, which is where I went to school um, at JFS before they turned it into a block of flats, which for anyone who went to that JFS is probably a vast improvement uh, 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 on, that, on that building. I, I haven't been to the new one. Yeah, if you don't like my talk, blame them. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, Alfie Solomon, so I'll get you up. Um, I love this, um, this bit. Let's do a whole show. So, Alfie Solomon's played by Tom Hardy. And again, I think that's an interesting choice, non-Jewish actor. Um, <laughs> um, oh well let's see um, there's one clip I really like is it this one right just to give you another example just to it's beautiful production values this show if any of you if you haven't seen it So, I mean, I'll just make some comments on this and then I'll, I'll round up. Um, let me just close that. It'll be distracting. Um, 
it's again, it's another interesting representation because it does adhere to some of the older stereotypes of having him dressed in um, kind of a Haredi garb. Um, but yet he's got a mouth on him. <laughs> in that first clip, there wasn't a clip with an, without an F word in it. Personally, I like that. I think this is a good sign. I think it's an actor of the caliber of Tom Hardy, um, which if you haven't seen Locke, you should see Locke uh, about a guy driving a car and in conversation. That's literally all that happens, but it's one of those gripping movies you ever see because he's such a good actor. So an actor of the quality of Alfie Solomon's, uh, um, of Tom Hardy, sorry, but with an extraordinary foul mouth, probably as befitting someone from North London, Whitechapel. That's probably how um, I, I would like to think people would have spoken. Um, you know, not this overly coded, uh, heavily kind of accented um, um, Jewishness that we see in previous ones. So the interesting thing is, I would argue that what we see in these um, changing... Um, stereotypes of the Jewish gangster. Yes, some of the old stereotypes are continued of associations with Jews with money, banking, uh, criminal activities. And of course, a lot of this is historically true, whether we like it or not. You know, uh, um, there's a film which um, called um, My Education or An Education. I don't know if any of you have seen that. That's a really interesting British film that really flew under the radar, but has probably one of the most grossly anti-Semitic caricatures um, in, in a way. Um, and, and it's based on this sort of Rachman-like uh, um, slum landlord. Um, so these people did exist in reality, however much we don't, we don't like it. Um, in fact, just as a side note, for me, one of the most grossly anti-Semitic caricatures that occurred recently was... How many of you have seen the film um, Denial? You've seen a film with just, just Lawrence uh, and, and yourself. Um, Denial is this um, film version of um, the Deborah Lipstadt case when she was sued by um, David Irving. And it's a very interesting film because, I mean, Rachel Weiss plays uh, Deborah Lipstadt. Um, most of the sympathies go towards David Irving uh, because it's played by Timothy Spall and he gets all the best lines and is a really good actor. But for me, what, what really irritated me, there was an establishing shot. Um, for those of you who don't know the term, establishing shot is when you show the exterior of somewhere so you know that's where you are. And um, it was a house in North London, a huge house in North London, in the front of which was parked, I mean, Rolls Royces and Bentleys. And this shot only lasted several seconds. And, and for me, that was one of the most anti-Semitic film shots I've ever seen. Because it was meant to be done in a well-intentioned way. Um, um, but all it said was, these Jews are wealthy. Yep. And then inside, we have the stereotypical rabbi, played by a childhood friend of mine, actually, Jacob Krzyzewski, who was Anthony in the Ology adverts. If you remember the BT adverts, Anthony, you've got an Ology. So one of the, this is just, to me, what blights British TV. Then playing that kind of rabbi. Um, and I complained about this on Facebook, and inevitably it being Facebook, someone I was friends with was friends with Deborah Lipstadt, and Deborah Lipstadt said, everything you saw in the film is as it happened. Um, which reminds me of the quote that um, the Pope's alleged to have said when he watched The Passion of the Christ, it is, it is as it was. Uh, um, anyway, so I then got her book out, read it, and I found two lines in the book where she went to North London um, to see the North London elders of the... North London, itself sounds dodgy, to us, where they begged her not to take this case on because they didn't want the spotlight shone on them, which, again, I think is kind of indicative of this wider context that I'm alluding to. And nowhere in there was there any description, physical description, of the, of the house, of the cars. And yet they decided in a film to do that and, and to keep it in, in a film that's meant to be sympathetic towards Jews. I find that a very interesting, troubling choice and somewhat akin to this mafia situation where you can't tell that this family's Jewish, really. 
Um, it's kind of immaterial to the plot, other than it could be in Israel, it could be anywhere else. Um, it condenses an entire book into one paragraph, um, and then, and then um, is played in the kind of way that, as David Ronovich rightly points out, that if you didn't know they were Jewish, I don't think you could tell. So the point is, if we're looking over a course of almost a century of a century of representations, yes, things have moved on. Um, clearly, from the uh, um, Fagin days and um, uh, uh, from Shylock in 1910, 1911, and then Fagin in 1948, um, and, and accents have moved on, and things have become more realistic. I think I'm very interested in this performativity and who plays these characters. Things have become much more complicated and complex. But I, I, I'm hard pushed to put a conclusion as to whether like all these developments are positive or not. Um, given all the qualifying factors that we have to throw in. So I was kind of hoping that Mishig Lenny, if he is here tonight, that we could discuss how he thought they'd um, 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 represented his book and, and use bits of it and, and, and whether it did justice to the book or not. At which place I will, I will end there with a series of questions rather than any firm conclusions and open it out to thoughts, comments and discussion. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Nathan, for your lecture and your focus on the question of language and kind of what kind of language, dialect is probably not the correct term, but language, or the sound of language, which kind of speaks about your position in society, which actually is something which is extremely British, if I may say so. <laughs> um, extremely British. And um, so I open the floor for questions. Yes. Uh, when McMafia came out, I was also really puzzled. What was the significance of making these uh, characters Jewish when the Jewish element in their life was virtually negligible, apart from the funeral? And I had two theories. Firstly, in terms of the BBC evaluating the mass appeal of the series, and that's what they want. They want something exotic, and Russians are exotic, and Jews are kind of exotic, so they've got a double element of exoticism. And then I thought, perhaps... The main justification was this, that um, in terms of Russia, I think uh, the Jewish population is less than half of 1%. But in terms of Russian oligarchs, the Jewish population is about 30%. And that may have been the decisive factor. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting, you know, this exoticism. Um, um, although they're the least exotic Jews you know, Shylock's more exotic, right? <laughs> Literally, and uh, sort of orientalist. Um, I, I suspect what led them to it. I, again, I don't know. I'd like. I have to take these as points because I can't really answer these questions, and I would like to interview the um, the creators more um, on on this decision. Um, let me just uh, go through through my notes. What I didn't say is what Misha Glenny points out in his book is that. Um, it's from the milieu of the one million Jews who fled the former Soviet Union from 1989 onwards that the writers McMafia drew inspiration. So this is some basis in reality. Um, and here's, here's following the murder of a Russian pimp, Oleg Karpitz Karpachov, in September 96, Israeli police unraveled an invisible Russian-speaking network of pimps, brothels, protection rackets, counterfeit documents and kidnapping that kept itself strictly divorced from the rest of Israeli society as if in a parallel world. Um, and then, under pressure from the United States, Israel came um, 
uh, uh, began to liberalize its markets and investment policies, and this led to increased inflows and outflows of capital, goods, and commodities, such as human trafficking and prostitution. And demand for this increased as in great embracing globalization, which made Israel become much more permissive. So what, what he seemed to have done in, in, in this focusing of an exotic is focus on that bit, that couple of paragraphs in the book, but I think if we took Israel out of that and, R- and Russian, there's many other societies in which that's an issue. But yeah, again, I, I, <laughs> I, I take the point. I think it's interesting, though. It's exotic, but without being exotic. <laughs> yeah, right? Do you, do you agree? Go on. Yes, I mean, I'm not a film expert. You are, and you pointed to this coding, and I take coding to be film language. Yeah. You cannot have a film without coding. Okay? Now we can debate uh, the nature of the coding, but it has to be there. And I fully agree uh, with your guests and to all the Gentiles I've spoken to, uh, the main actor is clearly alluding to the most famous Jew in this country. So for the audience, this is very clearly coded. I mean, yeah, there's no big discussion. We all know who he stands for. And, you know, that makes it relevant for the audiences. And it makes it totally relevant, the whole other, and you are completely right, the Israel and why, and exoticism Mm -hmm. and so on. But, you know, code has to work. So this is the guy they know, they can relate to. All right, yeah. I mean, I think in a sense, I'm, I'm at sometimes one of the, the wrong person. Yeah. You know. But is he the only one anybody knows? Or is he, is he... I mean, that's what most people thought he stands for. Yeah, no, if you want to take a Russian Jew, yeah, yeah. I get that. But then why does it have to be a Russian Jew? You see my point? The whole book was about a global... Ne- hence, muck. But it's not kosher mafia. Could have been called kosher mafia. The whole book was about... The whole point of it, this, this study is it's a global you know, trade. Yeah. Uh, not you dominated have, by one. You have to talk to the yeah, I know, I know. That, but again, that's... that's in I'm, terms of the effect that they wanted to achieve, they did of just getting people to identify with the most famous Russian Jew in the UK. Yeah, that'd be interesting if that was their intended effect. Who is also not, you know, your typical Jew, not Oriental, not, you know, Jew in any sense uh, of, you know, like in the series. Sorry, who are we talking about? Romanovich. Who's not British? Uh, I, I saw my link with Romanovich in that. Sorry? I, I didn't get any link with Romanovich. From that at all? No, I don't know. Ah. Yes. Well, yeah. some people did. No, no, I think this is interesting. This is inter- I'll let Dan um, crack the um, whip. Yes. Daniel, sorry. It's a very interesting, very interesting lecture. Um, a couple of points before I come to the main one. Um, I mean, uh, Shylock is basically, uh, Shakespeare was too clever to be anti Semitic. What he was doing was showing that if you take on, if you're an outsider and you take on the establishment, you're always going to lose. It's got nothing per se to do with anti-Semitism. The fact that other people take it on as that 
In fact, they just don't read the text properly. The first point. Second point is that um, uh, Fagin was based on somebody called Ike Solomons, who was who actually had a gang of youngsters, um, and Dickens regretted making it so so extreme in a way, but it did have a, it, it did have again that is um, an outsider who can't get into mainstream white Protestant society. Um, third thing is Mike Reed used to be a neighbour of mine. He used to park his Rolls Royce outside my car, my house, because I didn't have a car. Next to me was Sylvia Ruffle, who became Sylvia Young of the Sylvia Young Theatre School. And just up there, just next to us was Wolf Mankiewicz's father. So I think he had a few, you know, he, he had Jewish things to go on. Yeah. The, third th uh, the fourth thing is that I think it's basically based on Shimeon Malekovich, who was born in Kiev, lives in Moscow, has a Polish-Hungarian uh, mistress, and is an Israeli citizen, and has a massive, absolutely massive criminal network. Yeah. He's absolutely ruthless. It's not based on anybody else in this country. He is the main, he is an incredible gangster. And he must be the sort of person they wanted to sort of take and sort of condense all the other aspects into one person. Because otherwise, if you get to 20 different characters, you're not going to get an idea of how uh, criminality is spread throughout you know, society. Yeah, no, I, I, I take the point. I mean, and, and um, I think, that, you know, going back to your first point about Shylock, it's... How one reads the text is one issue. How one plays the character is another. I mean, I'll give you another example. So um, when I was at university, a, a, a friend of... Um, they were doing a performance of S uh, Salome, you know, the, 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 uh, the Oscar Wilde Salome. And one of my friends was playing a, a Herodian soldier, yeah? Like something out of, Herod, Herod, come here, my boy, right? <laughs> now... That was his choice to play it that way. Similarly, in these ways that we represent Shylock Fagan. The interesting thing about your second point about Fagan and whatnot is whether Dickens regretted it. He was part of a milieu of English literature in which there was a whole bunch of these, you know, think of Svengali and Trilby. Uh, um, you know, English Oscar Wilde also had his Mr. Isaacs. The Safadis didn't like East European Jews coming in either. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I take that's, the point. That's another subtext. Yeah. Now, what, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not disputing any history in any of this, right? We know there are Jewish moneylenders, we know there are Jewish gangsters, Jewish slum landlords, Jewish, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, in the craze, in the film The Craze, you can see a mezuzah on one of the doors. You know, I can go on like this. Uh, if you watch um, the Mexican show Narcos in one of the houses, there's a mezuzah on the door, you know. Not disputing any of that. All I'm disputing is why focus on this one family when you look at the source text? Have you read McMafia? Yeah, right? Am I, am I being unfair here? Not at all. Exactly. That, that's all I'm questioning. I, 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 I have to throw this out there as to... It's a very interesting, possibly troubling representation simply because they, there are probably many of these gangster types across the globe of many different cultures, nationalities, religions, yet they picked that one and then made it so par of... Right, a, a gentleman over here connected it to Abramovich. Gentleman over here didn't. I didn't immediately. So, 
you know, again, that's, I suppose we're all entitled to our individual readings of this character. I would like to come back to, to you know, um, your big argument about visual signifiers and your orientation, um, this kind of move, you know, from the Orient to back home. Right. Right. For example, Fagan in 1948, the David Lean film, I mean, there were two big gangsters there, Fagan and the British killer. And there's this big scene where they all meet up in the bar, where all the gangsters meet up, and it's quite clear that the killer is part of society, while Fagan can never be part of British society. Mm. Right? So let's say in this kind of earlier examples, Jews, be they, whether they are killers or criminals or normal people, are never part of, of, of society, while in these new films, especially um, in Perky Blinders, because of the language, they suddenly become East Londoners, for example. You know, they lose their kind of oriental background. Yeah. And that's especially the case in with the main characters in McMafia. He looks like someone from here, you know. Yeah. You would never guess he is, well, he is. Jewish, yeah. which means not from here. And he's really from here, right? And um, I think this move is extremely interesting, right? Mm. And, but does this turn, you know, the depiction of Jews into something else? You seem to question this, question this. When it comes down to um, a mafia film, I like very much. No, a series I like very much. Mm. Yeah. But you think um, it's very different in Peaky Blinders. <coughs> Yeah, I mean, I think what the similarity is, I mean, if I'm going to get my personal perspective here, is mm -hmm. I do like these kind of kick-ass Jews, right? I think it's a good thing, personally. Um, I, I see it a bit differently. I mean, one of the ways I would argue this is Jewish representations have improved somewhat because they're um, being produced by a generation of Jews who just grew up here mm -hmm. in the kind of post-Race Relations Act environment, post-Thatcher environment, where, where Jewishness was validated mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, uh, you know, at the heart of government, mm -hmm. hence that quote, more old Estonians and old Etonians. And, and, you know, people like me just grew up here. We don't feel that need to sort of prove our Britishness, right? In a way, maybe an older generation might have done, or at least their cultural outputs might have done. But then again, you know, we can, we can debate that. I mean, we certainly see it in the United States cinema where there was an attempt to show, well, we're actually just Americans, but of a different religion, right? But our religion's just like yours. Hanukkah's Christmas, uh, uh, Passover's Easter, and Purim is Mardi Gras, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'd say this generation, you know, when it produces certain work, you know, like Simon Amstel's uh, grandma's house, doesn't feel a need to prove anything or explain mm -hmm. us away. We can be gangsters because we were gangsters, and that's mm -hmm. fine. However, the counterside to my argument is Jews didn't produce these shows. <laughs> if it was a sign of, sort of post-assimilatory Jewish confidence to put Jewish gangsters who swore and were tough, I would get that. I, mean, I just can't slot this neatly into anything, maybe because life doesn't work that way, mm -hmm. to show that, that there's a change. I don't think they're outsiders. Mm -hmm. I, all right, maybe recent events have exposed what lies at the heart of British society, and I'm just naive. But certainly since the 80s, you know, 80s wasn't pleasant, going to JFS, people used to chuck stuff over the walls and shout things at us. And after the 80s, things got much better. Um, and um, I don't think for people of my generation, there was a sense of Jewish outsiderness unless we wanted to play to that, yeah? in the way that Fagin, Shylock. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if Jews were producing these shows, I would get it. But I, I'm, I'm, 
Stephen Knight and um, I'm trying to think of the, the writer offhand is going to um, Hossein Amini mm-hmm. produce these other shows so I'm a bit confused personally but you know what I think is so interesting especially about Peaky Blinders um, um, if you compare these for example to film productions in Germany yeah. where when you think about putting shoes on screen you go back to Fagan so to speak right yep. so they look like very orthodox um, Jews, but they all speak differently. While here, they speak like East Enders, right? And that's a huge difference, and you, can't, you don't have this kind of orthodox Jew or visible Jew within German cinema. Mm. And I think that's really a very interesting difference. You don't have... To, it's also very similar to what happens in, in French cinema. French Jews, they don't speak with accents, yeah. unless they are used to portray immigrants um, um, from Eastern Europe, right? Yeah, but they can be orthodox in French, and I think that's a very interesting observation. That's a chance. I, I don't say. Yes. Me. Yeah. You and Christina. Yeah. Okay. Um, if I can take you back to your first faking, as it were, yeah. in the David Lean, yeah. I think 1948 uh, version of Oliver Twist. How far might the this very stereotypical uh, portrayal of faking uh, be seen partly? in the context of the uh, Palestine mandate crisis. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking of the whole succession mm-hmm. of events and the effect that they had on the British media, on British public opinion, um, the King David bombing, mm-hmm. the, um, the documentary produced by British Movie Toe News, part of the series This Modern Age, meant as a kind of British counterblast to um, March of Time from Time Life in the United States. Um, then um, Foreign Secretary Bevin's uh, notorious reference in the House of Commons when being questioned by Jews <coughs> about the Palestinian situation that I do not see very many Arabs in the House of Commons. Um, and finally, I think about 48, it may be 49, the Sydney, the Sydney Stanley, formerly Solomon Vulcan scandal. Mm-hmm. which created a certain climate of opinion, and, of course, the um, hanging of the sergeants by Egon Svaili, leading to riots against uh, kosher uh, slaughterhouses, and I think Leicester, and certainly a couple of shoals. And so there is this whole atmosphere created um, amongst British public opinion, which, interestingly, is referred to by the High Commissioner for Palestine, uh, Sir Alan Cunningham, um, about the effect that involvement um, in what Churchill and the House of Commons described as the squalid war against the Jews was having on the rank and file of British soldiers and police and how that was feeding back and, and to um, general society in Britain. And he makes these points in his dispatches to foreign sec- to colonial secretary Arthur Creech Jones. I think that was an eloquent point rather than a question. But yeah, I think... I think... No, no, I think that's great. Um, it was a little more light relief, of course. Yeah. There's always Lionel Bart's comment when Ron Moody did his audition, audition. He got halfway through his routine. Bart just got up, walked out of the room with a bright smile and said, I've heard all I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you were talking, it connects another thing um, which you might be familiar with, with your knowledge, is the 1910-1911 version that I've shown you um, also is... The 19 is, is coterminous, um, contemporaneous with the 1911 Tredegar riots, um, 
in yeah so you know there might be an interesting uh, did these movie representations stir up any of these um, one thing that occurred to me as you were talking I suppose what we are looking at is in a context of pre-Windrush generation um, there's a nice film that I do like um, uh, that I think does a good job of, as a British Jewish film I'm pretty harsh on British Jewish films as you can tell called Wondrous Oblivion I don't know if any of you have seen that but it, it codes that moment when um, West Indians move into the street. So up until that point, Jews were outsiders and foreigners. And then once the West Indians, who, who cannot pass, you know, they can't whiten up by wearing cricket whites, for example. It's a boy obsessed with cricket. Suddenly, the Jews transition from being aliens to English, literally overnight, because by dint of comparison to West Indian immigrants. And there's a quote in the film where, where the grandmother of, of, a, of a boy is throwing bricks through the, the Jewish family's window. Once the Jamaicans move in, the, the, the grandmother she says, what do you expect me to do? We expect you to be Mrs. E- English, Mrs. Wiseman. You see? So I think you're right, that context as well, up until you know, the 60s, there was that outside in us. And then once the 60s, we see... I, that's why I'm at this, this point about Jewish outsiders. As I was reading through my notes, I just want to go back to a point about why make it a Jewish family. Um, this is what Hossein Amini has said. Um, I think it's Hossein Amini in, in his interview. Um, um, we want McMafia to be a tense gangster story, but also a family story. Okay? So maybe you take one of those cultures that is known for being very kind of family-oriented... There are other cultures being family-oriented, but maybe it's too risky because they're not... Jews are considered white, so you can make a white family a gangster family. If you made a non-white family a gangster family on the BBC, they might be accused of racism. Um, so that might be one of the reasons why they thought, let's have a strong family connection, and who's connected with family? Jews. But Jews are a powerful minority. They're rich. I mean, you know they don't count as underprivileged, therefore we can, we, can, we can use that group. But if we do a Muslim family who's a gangster, imagine how that would play, for example. Or, 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 um, um, just to give you an example, just a little parallel. That, um, I don't know if any of you saw the show The Fall. Okay, so this was about a serial killer and a rapist in Belfast. And um, early on in series one, his name's Paul Spector. And someone asked him, Spector? That's not an Irish name. No, no, Russian, Jewish. Now, why did they make this serial rapist Russian, Jewish? It turns out he's not. He's adopted. But why did they keep that for the first couple of series? Either they're anti-Semitic or, and this connects to my previous point, in the febrile context of Northern Irish politics, you couldn't make him Catholic or Protestant, so you made him something neutral. So that possibly, to ally to the first point, you can make someone exotic and neutral at the same time without fear of too much of a backlash. I'm, I'm speculating. So an interesting example you just mentioned was the um, immigrants from the West Indies because what I wanted to an, uh, ask is whether, in the, whether the depictions of otherness um, change if you have several otherness come in and whether there's like an internal hierarchy of these others. So maybe, and I don't really know these recent TV series, I'm I'm sorry, or films. Um, So I don't know whether in the case of Mac Mafia, there's 
other villains who are from different backgrounds, who may be even worse. Um, and my suspicion is that um, while in these earlier examples you have basically the good society and the one other, you might have a more complicated situation in more recent films where you maybe have several forms of otherness and therefore it is not as easy to decide what the Jew is meant to be and um, whether it's anti-Semitic or not, as it is in earlier examples. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest it is anti-Semitic. I, I mean, with McMafia, there's the kind of other Russian family that's not Jewish mm -hmm. um, that they're kind of siding against. Um, and, and, and in a sense, our sympathies clearly lay with the government. So in that way, it, it ameliorates the approach because we sympathize with the governments as being our narrative focus and the other family are the baddies. And we saw a representative of it when in the prison cell um, um, in, 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 in that clip I showed you. Um, Peaky Blinders is much more interesting because the Peaky Blinders are kind of uh, sort of Irish gypsies, the, there's the Italians, there's the Jews, there's the, um, and then there's the um, traveller, the Romanis. And um, in a sense, they all kind of equally abuse one another. So it's a more multicultural kind of uh, criminal enterprise, uh, much more balanced in its approach. Although it does focus on a central family, the Peaky Blinders, it's more balanced in its approach of sort of suggesting that, that, that everyone's equally involved in this, which would be, a, a, I think, a better model for McMafia when, when the book shows that everyone's equally kind of involved in this. But um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Maybe one last question, picking up on, on your question, you know, and going back to your big argument about the Jews coming home, when we look at them from a visual point of view, especially when you're looking at them, when we're looking at how do they sound, right? Mm -hmm. which I think is an extremely interesting argument, but somehow this argument comes to a stop or falls short when you look at um, make mafia film because of the chapter, right? Does the, chef, does the chapter kind of questions your big kind of argument? Because suddenly because they focus on one chapter only, yep. Jews are not coming home anymore. They're um, outsiders again. Um. Maybe, but I suppose the other side of it is Alex Godman is, you know, British Catholic, public school educated, you know, one of the great Catholic public schools establishment figure and looks like one. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to make him look like an outsider, you cast differently or you play differently. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think in that sense, he's both, you know, the attention is drawn to the Jewishness, but at the same time, he's completely part of British culture. Um, in a way that, that, that doesn't stand out. I mean, I think that the thing one can always do is compare to American examples, and there's loads from the States. I mean, a more recent version would be Lucky Number Slevin, mm -hmm. where um, it's only at the end you find out that the main character's Jewish. Um, but you'd have no way of knowing up to that point, because it's, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, it's what I, I called in that 2012 book, gratuitous or superfluous Jewishness. It's just incidental to the plot. And if you took it out, it doesn't change it. We have an example of that in McMafia, but slightly more troubling because of the nature of the material. And had I not looked at the source text, yeah, I'd just be like, oh, there's no issue here. It's only when you compare to the source text mm -hmm. that I think the issue comes starker. Like, I want to know what happened in that discussion of adaptation to screen, mm -hmm. right? Like, why did you decide 
But if I hadn't read McMafia, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Well, I would be here, but <laughs> I wouldn't have such a, I wouldn't be so sort of confused <laughs> for want of a better term. So you see there's still a link between images and texts. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Not a bad conclusion, actually. <laughs> other questions? If there are no other questions, I'm happy to come to a conclusion. And I thank Nathan for your lecture and all your questions, which we couldn't solve. But that's, it's not so important. It's important to have questions. And um, I think the Johnson Institute is happy to invite you to have some drinks, nibbles, and continue with our discussions over there with Nathan. Thank you very much. Nathan. Thank you.